Really quick question. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Let's do a psychological thing here. First thing that pops into your head when I say the word miracle. Way to go, Churchy. You got that right. Okay. So Jesus. The answer is usually Jesus. But I want you to I want you to think for a moment. What do you think of when you hear the word miracle? Yes, Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection is nothing short of miraculous. Uh, it's so miraculous that that's the only time that's ever happened. Other people have been crucified, they died, and they were dead. Jesus was crucified, died, came back to life, was resurrected, brought his life back. He said, I have the power to lay my life down, I have the power to bring my life back. Now, aside from that, and the all-importance of it, what else does that word conjure up in your mind? Uh, maybe somebody who was sick and then wasn't? Uh, they were healed somehow, some way? There's no medical explanation for it? See, there is... There's, a way that God heals us, and he heals us through medicine, through our bodies that, that have this, this ability to recuperate and regenerate when we become sick. You know, when we catch a cold or the flu, our body goes into a flu and cold fighting mode, and it takes a couple of weeks, and it gets it out of your body, and then you're good. We can aid it with medicines, and medicines are great, and doctors are awesome. You should pray for your doctors that they would have wisdom and insight. Um, but in a sense, that's a healing. But I'm talking about something that can't be medically explained. That's, that, that's something that we look at and we go, that's a miracle. That is something that only God could do. That person had cancer. Now they no longer have cancer. That person, maybe it's not medical, maybe it's financial. I had no way to pay any of my bills. All of a sudden, a check showed up. Somebody gave me money. Somebody stopped me on the road and said, here, I think this is for you. The Lord told me, and it was exactly what I needed for my rent, for my, my gas, for my electric, for my car, whatever it was. Miracle. Miracle. It, it's, it's something that only God can do. What other things come up in your mind as, you mention, as, as I mention that word miracle? Maybe it's a, a narrow, just a slight uh, missing of death or tragedy. You know, you're driving down the road. Next thing you know, whoa, somebody's swerving into your lane. You had just enough room to go around, come back, and, and not hit anything. Or maybe even there was no mathematical explanation as to how you made it through that spot. You've gone back, and you've looked, and you said, this, this spot was not wide enough for my car to fit through. I don't know how that happened. I have no earthly explanation. Miracle. I'm here to encourage you, uh, this is the secondary issue or the secondary point, that God is a God of miracles. God can miraculous do, miraculously do all sorts of things. Um, I speak a, a lot against those who teach you that you can make God do a miracle, that you are in control of God, that he is at your bidding, that you say something or you recite a prayer or you do it at a certain time or in a certain way, and then God is obligated to perform for you. That is what the Bible calls paganism and witchcraft, the manipulation of spirits. God is not a God or a spirit to be manipulated. I did A, God has to do B, thus I get C. I sowed a seed, uh, I gave a, an amount of money to a ministry, now I'm going to get the car or the boat or the house. No, none of that is biblical. However, that doesn't mean the, mirac uh, the miraculous does not exist. It doesn't mean that God does not bestow upon us things that are greater than maybe what we need. So, so the teaching is not God wants you to have the bare minimum. 
No, God is a father. How many of you dads here buy stuff for your kids that not only meet the need but exceed the need? So you buy the kid the backpack that they need for school, but maybe it's a little cooler than, than the one you saw at this store. It's got a few more bells and whistles. I kind of have a problem with backpacks. That's why I went there first. Maybe it's a pair of shoes. Maybe instead of just the basic uh, shoes that do its job of covering their feet and keeping them from being hurt, you go a little bit a little bit extra because, well, the ones they want have transformers on them or have have uh, you know uh, Superman or Batman or somebody on them or or Doc McStuffins or some other Disney princess on them. And you say, okay, it's a few extra bucks, but I love my children and I want to bestow upon them good gifts. See, God is a is a father that's way better than that. See, we we are these as dads, we have this this great responsibility of carrying this title that we share with God. Never lose sight of that, dads. Never lose sight of the fact that as a dad, you're, God has given you, He's bestowed upon you this this great privilege to to raise up kids and be like Him in that. That you get to see him through that process. God still is a God of miracles who bestows upon his children things without explanation other than he did that. Early on in my ministry, we're going on 10 years now, so about 10 years ago, my definition or what I was being told was the definition of a miracle was the things I've just explained to you. As I began to re- read the Bible, though, I began to understand that there's, there is a greater miracle than somebody being uh, raised from the dead even. Not Jesus. That's not what I mean. We had a woman here in this church uh, before I was the pastor here. Her name was Millie. She died in these pews, and she came back to life. Then she went to be with the Lord later on, and she didn't live forever like Jesus did. So, so even, even Lazarus of the new testament jesus raised him from the dead lazarus went and died again there is a miracle that is greater than the financial blessing out of nowhere the 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 the, uh healing from a sickness that can't be explained by doctors um there's something greater than that that's what we're going to talk about today galatians chapter 4 verse 8 turn your bibles there um just to share a little bit of a testimony with you um I was healed once with medical verification. See, it's, it's one thing to say, I was healed, and oh, how do you know? Well, I just feel it. Well, okay, we, there's nothing tangible there. Here's what happened. So I, I go to uh, the doctor. I, I, I have these things known as night terrors. Anybody ever go through night terrors? It's a lot of fun. Um, it, it sounds as fun as the name implies. Um, but basically, I just never knew what was happening while I was sleeping. I was... I felt in, un, out of control of my body as I was as I was sleeping. It's not that I was doing things I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't move, but I was awake and cognizant. Really weird. So I go to this doctor, neurologist, go through all these tests. They hook up all these wires to my head, um, and they're like, "Okay, you're going to uh, do sleep depri- deprivation tests." And okay, you have narcolepsy. Now, how many people here's only only um, understanding of narcolepsy is is something you've seen on television? It's hilarious on television, right? In real life, it's actually that's not very realistic. Number one, and number two, it's not quite as fun. Uh, so the uh, narcolepsy, really? Like that? Okay, fine. So they give me these medications. Praise God! I, at the time, I have insurance. It's like a three or four hundred dollar medication that they're going to cover each month that I have to take. 
It's literally a, a stimulant. It's going to keep me awake. And that stuff made me feel crazy. Like, I feel like I just had to run all of a sudden. Like, I have to run. Like, you're just going to the refrigerator. Yeah, but I got to run. Like, it's going to go run upstairs and downstairs again. Why? I don't know. Just crazy. If you've ever taken medications like that that were prescribed by your doctor, not by a guy on the street corner, okay, there's a difference here. Um, you know how, how A, it just feels it, – it's, it's a bit of a frustrating feeling. It's a weird feeling. So anyway, so then my wife and I go on vacation, and while on vacation, uh, I lose my medication. Oh, no. Um, but just prior to that, I had come to the altar here at this church and, and asked for prayer and asked for healing of this. And uh, had forgotten all about that. So we go on this vacation. I lose my medication. What am I going to do now? I don't know. I'm feeling all dopey. I'm ha trying to have a vacation, but I just feel all disoriented and just not. So I come back, and, uh, well, our insurance changes in that time. I have to go through this whole process again. Oh, man. So ha anybody here ever gone through a, a sleep deprivation test? Sleep deprivation test. It's a lot of fun too, isn't it? So for the – Everybody except for the three that raised their hand. Here's what they did for me. Maybe it was a little different. You have to stay up for 24 hours. Then you have to go sit in the world's most comfortable recliner and not fall asleep with these wires hooked up to your head. And every five minutes you have somebody saying, hey, wake up. Hey, wake up. Hey, wake up. It's like, I've been up for 24 hours. But okay. So they go through this test. Doctor afterwards says, I don't know why you're on medication. I don't know why you're going through anything. I don't see anything here. And that's when it all kind of came back together, like, oh, I had prayed that the Lord would heal me of this. And all these circumstances, me losing my medication, uh, my insurance changing so that I had to be retested to find another doctor who says, I don't know why you were ever put on med medication in the first place. I knew why, because I had been healed. Now, I, now, to say that, that isn't a green light that everybody's going to be healed. I have prayed for a thousand other things with little to no answer other than a wait or a later Okay, But this was one particular time where God healed me. I have no explanation as to how he did it other than I prayed and you know I didn't give. I didn't sow a seed. I didn't say it in faith. I just, I just asked and God gave that to me. Why in that particular time moment? I don't know. I know that he's good and I know that he loves me and I know that he loves you. And there may be times where he heals you as well. Our God is a God of the miraculous. Never lose sight of that. Don't forget that. Don't, don't let even my own teaching push that aside and say, well, no, we shouldn't be seeking that. No, miracles do happen. We pray for the miraculous all of the time. Here's one way that we do that. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Verse 11, not the kind that you put on a t-shirt or a Bible book cover or you know a bumper sticker. I'm afraid, you know, if, as a pastor, if I had that on, on my, as a bumper sticker on my car, that would not be good. I think I'm laboring over these people in vain. The Galatian church had been liberated by Jesus from the law and, and from its, its condemnation and now existed in this grace that, that God has given them. They are now children of God. They, they can cry out to God as their dad. 
They could they had this relationship with God that didn't require ritual, that didn't require ob- observing certain days and and certain seasons. They could just come to the they could come to their dad anytime they wanted for any need that they had. However, they desired to go back to the old ways. It, it's really reminiscent of the of the Jewish people in the book of Exodus. Once they leave Egypt, first they cry out to God, "Save us from the Egyptians who are." Who are enslaving us and working us, uh, working our hands to the bones, and they're killing our firstborn children. Put yourself there for just a moment. Imagine yourself as, an, as a as a Jewish person in an Egyptian country, uh, and you're you're a slave. You have no choice. You are working, and then you have a, a son, and they take your son and kill your son. Obviously, the Jews cried out to God, "Deliver us! Deliver us from the Egyptians!" So He does. And they go out and, and you know, you got the ten plagues of Egypt and you got Moses and the burning bush and all that. But they get out into the wilderness and what happens? Oh, Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? See, what happened was they got hungry and there wasn't a lot of food and they begin to cry out. And they begin to remember, at least in Egypt we had leeks and onions and we had meat to eat. Sure, they were killing our firstborn. Sure, they were, they were breaking us through slavery. But at least we had food. They got out and they were wanting to go back. Sometimes Christians get saved. They find Jesus. They give their life to him. And then they desire, they look back at their life. And they look at it and romanticize it. Say, oh yeah, back then I could do this or do that. No, you were in death and sin and you were enslaved to it. Don't romanticize the past. Remember, the day before you met Jesus, everything before that was dead dead it was you were spiritually dead but then you met jesus and he made you alive in him you were born again that day and your life now belongs to him and you belong to him and he is he is your father and you are his child paul goes as far as to say that he is a bond servant to christ a willing slave he's left the unwilling slavery of sin to the willing slavery of christ bob dylan put it this way you're going to serve satan or serve serve God, everybody's going to serve somebody. There's only one of two teams we get to join. Satan's team, Jesus' team. There's no third team. There's no un, 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 unsigned, outside of contract people. We all belong to one team or the other. Now, there are two groups of people in the world. Those that know God and those that do not. The myth of our modern culture is that everybody's a child of God and that everybody knows God just inherently. Just everybody knows about God. Everybody is seeking him. Everybody desires him. Everybody is uh, a child of God. That is, is, is myth. It's not what the Bible declares. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that before we knew Christ, there was enmity, war between us and God because of sin. That all occurred because of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden and Satan and his part in that. But before we know Christ, we don't know God. Once we know Christ, then yes, we do know God. We, God, in a, in a sense, this is the best way I can explain it. He opens us up to him. He opens us up to receive his grace, to receive his mercy, so that we might repent. Some teachings will tell you, well, repent so that you might receive the grace of God. That's backwards. Receive the grace of God that you might repent of your sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 
It says this, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Here's what Paul's saying. That one group of people, the Jews, they demanded the miraculous. They demanded this of Jesus. Show us a sign that you are the son of God. Show us a sign that you are of God. Give us a miracle. He would say something like, oh, the only sign I'm giving you is the sign of Jonah. And the way that he was in the belly of the whale for three, or belly of the fish for three days, so will the son of man be in the belly of the earth for three days. And that would just make the Jews mad. Like they, they wanted a sign. And then Jesus would point and say, look, I'm, all these people who are healed. Look at all the people who are fed. Look at all the people who have, who have been born again. Let that testify. Let that be the miracle. It was never enough. The Greeks, on the other hand, the the non-Jews, they demanded wisdom. They wanted to debate. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to get together and discuss, well, what about this? And what about that? And they wanted to intellectually and mathematically understand how Jesus is the Son of God, risen, and and, and in that rising uh, pays the penalty of our sin and death. And through faith, we engage in, in adoption of being a child of God through Jesus. And the truth of the matter is that the only miracle we have and the only truth we have is Jesus. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, that's foolishness, and, uh, and it's just it's foolishness to those who do not believe and a stumbling block to the Greeks and to the Jews both because we preach Christ crucified. It's not my job here this morning to convince you of anything. It's not my job here to perform a trick to make you believe in God. See this miracle? Believe in God. See how see this pie chart and how all these stats line up and that's how you, God loves you? No. I'm preaching to you Jesus, the Son of God, who died on a cross for your sins so that you might be saved. And Paul says that's foolishness to those who don't believe. So what happens so that somebody can believe? Here's the realization I came to early on in my ministry, that when someone gives their life to the Lord, when you gave your life to Jesus, whenever that was, if it has yet to happen, when it does happen, it is the greatest miracle on the face of this planet that we will experience today. If you will talk to somebody and they receive Christ, it's not because you were really persuasive. It's not because you had really elegant, eloquent, eloquent Words. It's not because they saw you as loving and compassion, compassionate. They, the Holy Spirit, got a hold of them, and a miracle took place. The day that you heard the appeal, that you maybe came to an altar, or you sat at a table with a friend, or you were with a relative, a grandmother, a grandfather, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, uh, just a friend, maybe just an acquaintance, maybe a stranger on the street, when they told you about Jesus, and it finally clicked that moment of clarity that moment where i have to give my life to jesus i have been dead i want to be born again not just i don't want to go to hell okay that's obviously we don't want anybody to go to hell that that's a given hell is is hot and eternity is a long time and so we don't want anyone to go there but i don't want that to be your soul motivator to keep you in church does that make sense because eventually you'll lose sight of the flames and you will wander and you will stray and you'll say well i'll just go you know do this a little bit and then you'll you'll be backslidden okay because 
Hell yes, bad. Hell bad. Just have a Frankenstein mentality. Hell bad. Right? You don't want to be there. However, if that's your only motivation to be a Christian, you haven't truthfully, faithfully, completely been converted. Because honestly, someone who's been converted from, from, from dead to life, you realize that hell is no longer a threat. As a Christian, I no longer fear hell. Do you know why? I'm not going there. There's no reason to fear it. There's no reason for me to walk on eggshells. I might make God mad and then he'll send me to hell. No, he died on the cross for me. Christian, you have no reason to fear hell. You have no reason to fear a punishment that God has already bestowed upon his son. Does that make sense? That it wouldn't be fair for him to punish his son and you at the same time. Is, is hell part of the gospel message? Yes, it absolutely is. And to omit it is wrong, but to only focus on it is wrong as well. The truth is you, the day you gave your life to Jesus, that was a miracle. And the Bible says, Paul says to us through the Holy Spirit, that not only do you know God, but you are known by God. Let's, let's be real plain here for just a moment. Many of us here, we know each other to an extent. But there are parts of us that are reserved for other places. There are parts of us that are reserved for home, for instance. Um, you handle yourself a little differently. Maybe you feel less vulnerable at home, so you're a little more comfortable, a little more confident. Okay? Um, maybe at work, different demeanor. You work at a high-stress job. There's a lot of demands. You're, you're talking with a lot of folks. You have to be a little more strict because the people you're working with, let's face it, if, if you're not on top of them, they're not going to get their job done. So you have a different demeanor. What that ends up happening is it creates these layers of who we are. And I find that through, through Jesus, God is trying to remove all of those layers and just leave a person. That we would be the same person no matter where we go from here or to there, whether we go home, whether we're at church, that there would be no facades, that there would be no, no masks that we wear, that we would be a Christian following Christ, child of God, no matter where we go. We never set aside our Christianity. Oh, well, it's okay. That's for church. But now I've got to go into the real world and I've got to be like them. No, Christ has called us out of that world to be a part of his world and then exist in that world while still being in his world. Does that, does that make sense? To be, to, to be reoriented, to be a missionary on this planet. But now we are sojourners. We are, we are pilgrims. This is, not, this is not really our home. I pray for the best for, for you know, all the skirmishes around the world, the wars, things like that. But this is not our home. I pray that these folks that are fighting in wars now, that they would have a new home. That new home would be with Jesus. That they wouldn't die for some silly war and not know Christ. And not go to be with Christ. Whether they're, whether they're on the wrong side of the line or not. There's still people that Jesus died for. But see, in all of that, we might not know each other. To go back to my original thought, we might not know each other fully. But here's what the Bible tells us. That God knows us. He knows every part of you. He knows every thought you have. And see, we know this intellectually. We call this omnipotence or omniscience, sorry. We call this omniscience, all-knowing, 
quality of God, that he knows all things. You're not going to surprise him. We know that intellectually, but let that emotionally sink in for just a moment. At your worst and at your best, God knows you. And your deepest insecurities, God knows you. And your deepest hurts and pains and fears, God knows you. You are known by God. I don't say that to scare you. Oh, no, God knows me. I say that to encourage you. That God knows you and loves you. That even knowing you, every, every nook and cranny of your heart, he still sends his son to die for you. See, he never sends his son to people worthy of his son. He sends his son to die for those who are unworthy. Truth be told, we're all unworthy outside of the grace of God. When you go out into the world and you need to minister to folks and, and, and you want to you wanna hesitate and say, no, not them, you have to understand that without the grace of God, you're in that same boat. That their sin is no different than your sin in the eyes of God. Sin is sin. And so we never hold back. We never say, well, I can't. Well, it's not going to work. They're, they're not going to understand. They're not in the right place. You don't know. You don't. Because there was a time and place in your life where you weren't at the right place. You weren't ready. But someone still shared the gospel with you, and you were born again. I need us to remember and not lose sight of the truth that this all comes to an end one day. There are times where I still get overwhelmed with, with Ethan and his diagnosis of leukemia. I, 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 in my mind, I, I see the future, and I, I think of him telling people, yeah, when I was a kid, I had leukemia. You know, like some of us might say, I had measles or you know, chicken pox. I had leukemia. And the continual testing and that sort of thing, it just gets overwhelming. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've, maybe you've had somebody die, and you just remember, oh, yeah, that's right. My this person is not here anymore. You know, maybe it's some time has passed and it just it just jumps back up. You know, maybe oh this happened or you lost this or or just some trial or tragedy occurs. God knows you. God cares for you. God wants to be the one that you run to in those times, as overwhelming as they might be. Jesus puts it like this, and this is a hard word. Some of, the, some of the verses we read in the Bible, God is love, like we get that. We want to, yeah, that's a good one. Jesus says things like, those that don't love me more than their mother and father don't really love me. That's a hard word. For some of you, that's easy. Didn't have a good relationship with mom and dad. Like, okay, check. Got that one. But for others, you had good moms and dads. It's like, wait, wait a minute. What does that mean? It means that Jesus must be your all in all. The truth of the matter is, when the miracle happens that you see Jesus for who he is, it happens actually quite easily. Because you realize, well, yes, he's Jesus. He is, he is the one who's made me. He's the one who's paid the price and the penalty for my sin. He's the one who's forgiven me. He's the one that walks with me. He's the one that, that leads me beside still waters. He's the, ones that, the one that leads me to the green grass. He's my good shepherd. He's my, he's my brother and my savior and my father and my God. And he's, he's desired me. 
and wanted me, and now he knows me. Church, what the world needs now, what the church, what Canastota, what Sylvan Beach needs now, is not Christians who flee when the light comes on. When the first trial comes, they're going to come. I'm not preaching a soft lifestyle to you. You're going to become a Christian, and life is going to be hard. You're going to have to endure. But it will be filled with such joy that, that it will supersede the pain. Does that make sense? That where you will, yes, you will mourn, and you will uh, mourn with others, but you'll also rejoice and rejoice with others. You know, I look back at Alicia with baby Dean. We rejoice that baby Dean is here. We, none of us had anything to do with that, but there he is, and we rejoice with them. We rejoice that he's growing, and he's wonderful, and he's beautifully made, and he laughs at everything, and he has so much hair on his head. I mean, we rejoice with him, right? Ben and Jen go home. You know, Jen, we, we, Okay, we're dedicated with them as well. We're hoping for the best. We're praying for the best, but we're there, right there with them. When someone loses a loved one, we, we mourn with them. Oh, I'm sorry your son died. I'm sorry your, your husband died. I'm sorry that this person died. You know, what can we do for you? Can I make you a meal? Can I, can I do something? See, that this is the life that's amplified that Jesus calls us to, life and life more abundant. We feel more. It hurts more. And so I don't want to sugarcoat anything. That's the life we're being led to. But what the world needs is people that won't turn back from it. Here's what Paul says. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time had come, excuse me, rather, Galatians 4 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Knowing Jesus changes everything. It changes your past because he redeems it. It changes your present because, gosh, who knows where we're going to be today. And it changes your future where he's leading you to. For some, that's scary. For others, it's exciting because who knows who the Lord is going to bring into your life. I look around this room four years ago, with the exception of my mother-in-law and father-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, none of you guys were really in my life, right? And I wasn't in yours. But one day... Boom, we're all put together. Who's going to be put together next? Who's going to come in here next? Who's going to be a part of this family in this church? We don't know. It's exciting. Who, it could be any number of people or any number of families and kids, and we'll just keep growing and having fun and, and, and worshiping Jesus. And the last thing we need is people who are turning back. I meet no shortage of people who, yeah, I went to church, but this happened. Some folks, it's silliness. Someone parked in my parking spot and I was just angry. They sat in my pew and I just, I couldn't, I had sat there for 3,700 years and somebody else sat in my seat and I just couldn't handle it. And they leave. Okay, let us know when you grow up, whatever. There's other people, my, my pastor made a pass at me. I'm 14 years old. Or this person took advantage of me. Or... I went through a divorce and they shunned me. Or I went through this trial and nobody showed up. 
No one cared for me. I, I meet those people all the time. And they turn back as a result. I can count on one hand how many people actually endured that and stayed in the church. Not this church, but any church. And so I don't say this lightly, but I do say this from the biblical standpoint that we need folks who will push past the inconveniences. Now, we don't push past something that's sin. Sin is sin, and we deal with sin. But I'm talking about the, p- the pews and the parking spots. And you know there wasn't enough of this at the potluck, which we're having in a few minutes. Or the pastor doesn't dress right, because I get that. Or, you know, this, he's not old enough. I'm sorry, I'm going, going as fast as I can here. Um, actually, that's a lie. I'm trying my hardest to slow down life and its process because my kids keep getting bigger. Please pray for me. But the point is this, we need folks that won't turn back. Turn back to the old life. Not just turn away from the church, but turn back. The, the Christian church has so many trends. I've only been in church 10 years, really, faithfully, and I've seen so many trends come and go. So many things that were the new thing, and you just wait 10 minutes, and they're gone. And they might even be biblical things, but people just, oh, that's a new thing, got to run to it. Oh, there's a new thing, got to run to it. Like, wait a minute, let's just stick with the Bible. Books are good, preachers are good, pastors are great, blogs are fun, but it's the Word of God that counts. It's the Word of God that matters. And so all that to say, you're a miracle. The Bible's not about you, but you're involved. Jesus is the greatest miracle. And then he does something miraculous in your life. And I want you to see yourself as, as, as not just a, a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace miraculously. And I want that to become part of your identity so that when you live your life, you realize, oh, I'm not that person I'm the person God is making me into. It changes your perspective on everything. How you raise your kids, how you go to work. You start seeing the eternal value of things. Gotta be honest with you, when I see things that don't have any eternal value, I'm not really invested in it. Because they're not gonna last. My kids, that's got eternal value. You guys, eternal value. The church of God, eternal value. Voting, eh. I mean, I vote. I encourage you to vote too. But politicians come and go. You know, eternal value. Christ has the ultimate eternal value, and that's where I want to put all my energy. Let's stand this morning. We're gonna stand, we're gonna we're gonna bless the food. But first I want to give you an opportunity. I want to make an appeal. This is the part of the service where I say or I give an invitation for you to become a Christian. Whether that means for the first time, or for the next time, or for the last time. We hope it's just the first and the last, but if it's if you have backslidden, if you've gone back, you're just not as fervent as you once were, you're like the church in Ephesus, you're doing all the right things, but you don't do it out of love, you're not doing it for the right reasons, well, it's an opportunity to repent. It's an opportunity to go back to God and say, God, I am sorry. And so all I want you to do is to pray with me right now. Father, I thank you for every person that gives their life to you. I see it as nothing less than a miracle that somehow, some way, your kingdom enters into ours and someone is transformed. And your Bible uses this language of being born again, something so so drastic, so so 
literally big that we're not just a new person with new rules. I mean, we were brand new, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. We have been, we have gone through metamorphosis. We have transformed. I praise you, Lord, for every time that miracle occurs in our lives or in our church here at this building. I pray today, Lord, for those who are here. Lord, if, if, if your offer of grace has stuck, if, it is, if you have opened your people up today to see the goodness of your son Jesus, to see the reality of, of what it means to be a sinner, and that without you we're all falling short of the glory of God, that today would be the day, the first day of their real life. I pray for those who maybe they've heard this appeal and yeah, they didn't want to go to hell. So they just, yeah, I'll accept Jesus. But life since then has not been reflective of of that choice. Father, I pray today would be the day of transformation for them. Maybe for those who are like the church of, of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, who are doing all the right things. They're tithing, they're going to church, they're praying, they're reading their Bible, but they really don't have their heart invested in it. Lord, you you warn them and encourage them to return back to their first love. I pray today through, through this remembering of being a miracle, Lord, they themselves being a work of your hand, that they would be reminded of how much you love them and that they just don't know you, you know them. And that changes everything about today and the future, and even their past. I pray today as we, as we commune together, as we, as we sup together, as we have lunch, I pray that, that we'd have great conversations, that you would indeed bless this wonderful food to our bodies, that we'd all just talk and, 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 and relate and, and just have fellowship like a family would gathered around a table. I praise you, Lord, for those who have gathered here today and pray that we would just celebrate your son, Jesus. In his beautiful, wonderful, awesome name we pray, amen.